Hi, it's me, Raquel Levis from Vanderpump Rules, and you are listening to Spirituality and Self-Love in the Modern World podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share your girl's podcast for all sorts of cool metaphysical topics. It's not about the pasta. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Spirituality and Self-Love in the Modern World podcast. I'm so excited. I have to calm down. I have Aparna from Netflix Indian Matchmaking on the show today. And I have so many questions for her because, because this show, this show, Indian Matchmaking, the audience is global. Not only does it have a curious Western audience due to the subject matter, but it also have a large following in Asia because we are familiar with the subject matter. I am half South Asian. My mom is Chinese and my dad is Indian. So this topic I'm very familiar with. How are you doing, Apana? How is August 2021 been for you so far? Pretty fabulous. I'm having a great summer. I just got back from Paris. I spent three weeks there. So I got to spend part of July and August in a pretty empty of tourist city. It was really cool. Um, Paris had just opened or France had just opened up its borders to vaccinated Americans. I took it as a chance to go spend some real good time there, some quality time in that city. Everyone was like, oh, head to Saint-Tropez, head to Nice, head here, head here. I was like, no, I'm going to stay in the city. The whole three weeks and get to know it and, and explore it and, and find the back alleyways and the beautiful artwork and the amazing food and um that's how my summer has been going so far no complaints no complaints how long how long were you in paris just there for three weeks i was in new york for a month before that i'm in houston for a few weeks so i'm spending a summer kind of moving around and then i'll be back in new york uh full time from september all the way through the end of the year. I don't have any big plans. Um, you know, with the new variant, I think it's just smart to stay put and to enjoy the city. New York has so much to offer, especially in the fall. It's so gorgeous in the fall. New Yorkers are so happy in the fall. It's just a good vibe. So I'm happy to be going back there for the rest of the year. Are you going to move to New York or are you staying put in Houston? Um, I basically live in New York right now. Um, I am not fully put down my own lease there but I'm there most of the time um I visit Houston every two months or so just for a few days and um, just to do all my admin stuff in Texas my family's still in Texas my friends are a lot of them are in Texas and so for me it's a good compromise to come back here every eight weeks or so I know it's so crazy it's two months to Halloween yes three months to Thanksgiving Mm-hmm. Oh my God, four months to Christmas and five months to 2022. This is crazy. I know. It's wild. It's wild. This whole year has passed by in a blink. Yeah. So, my first question officially for you today is How did you know you wanted to be a lawyer? Um, you know, I don't think I ever. 100% new. It was an idea that sounded good. I came up with it when I was seven. I don't wow. know. Wow. Yeah, it was just one of those things. Everyone's like, oh, you're, you're such a good reader. You're such a good writer. You know, um, you're so, you know, a leader in, in the classroom. Like, you would be a great lawyer. And I think seven-year-olds kind of 
listen to adults more than adults think that they're listening. And so I got the idea in my head and I kind of went with it. And it's crazy what we go with our whole life and not even realize. I look back on it now. I'm like, there's so many times I could have turned around this story. And yet somehow I ended up in law school. I ended up being a lawyer for 10 years. I ended up pretty much not liking it for 10 years. Um, so I gave it a go. I gave it my best go, but I just don't think it was the right career fit for me. And I think we need to be more open about admitting that and saying that and applauding people for transitioning out of career paths that they're not, you know, fully aligned with or that they enjoy. Um, there's so many decisions we make when we're so young that I just don't think we need to be held to them forever. What? So you're no longer a lawyer, I'm assuming. You no longer identify as a lawyer, I'm assuming. I'm always a lawyer. I'm not a practicing attorney right now. Gotcha. Um, I left on a sabbatical at the end of October last year. So we're coming up on 10 months. And um, I might go back. You never know. If there's an opportunity that fits me, that aligns with me, that allows me to still be my authentic self I'm not opposed to it I'm never gonna say never but I I just don't think that's what's gonna happen I just don't see it coming for me I don't think law is where I'm supposed to be sitting for the rest of my life how does sabbatical work in the corporate world what do you need to tell your employer well you ask them you know if I if I leave right now um I, I want to touch base with you. I'm going to keep this job. Can you promise me a job if I leave for three months? And they'll say, yes. Can you promise me a job if I come back in six months? And they might say yes or no. And so you're negotiating with them. And so um, for me, I ended up having to just leave that job because I stayed away for too long. And that was okay with me. Um, so a sabbatical kind of turned into a uh, a sabbatical of my own personal life more than a sabbatical from that particular company or firm. Um, but a lot of people I know take three months sabbaticals from their corporate jobs and they have a conversation with their employer and the employer says, yeah, take 90 days and come back. No problem. So I think that it is becoming more and more common for people to pursue their passions or to give back to their communities. I know a friend of mine went to Guatemala and worked with his favorite nonprofit for three months, building houses in the hillsides of Guatemala. And then he went straight back to his corporate job. But for 90 days, that's what he wanted to do to fulfill his passion, his interests, and his need to give back to a community. Wow, that is good to know because a lot of people don't know a sabbatical is even an option when you work for a job, especially if you have been with the employer for 10 years, right? I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. Or even five years or even three years to say like, hey, I need some time. Um, and the time is not medical. The time is for my soul, for my wellness, for my, um, for my recentering. I'm going to be a better employee when I come back because I'm going to have done something for myself that, that feeds my soul. Are you 100% focused on your luxury travel now and your bracelets? Um, I'm actually working on my book. I just finished that. That's what I've been focused on. So I did the huge cover reveal on my Instagram page. People were really excited. People are sharing it a lot. I'm very touched. It comes out February 8th. Uh, 2022. So we're six months out. So that's normal. People are pre-ordering the book right now. That support is just so heartwarming to me, like to see people supporting me already to see um, women, especially stand up and say, hey, this is a story that needs to be told, right? The book is called She's Unlikable and Other Lies That Bring Women. Oh my God! Yeah. That's such a great title. You haven't even finished it. And I'm like, oh my God, that is such a great title. It is! I think so. Everybody, I love it. Hey, 
very marketable too. You have a marketing creative in you. Maybe I do, or maybe yes. my publisher does, or maybe my literary agent does, because we're a team and we wanted to put my story out there and they gave me the platform to tell my story. I never thought I would write a memoir at the age of 35. In fact, I thought that was kind of silly. Like, what have I done to share with the world? But I think it was interesting. After the show came out, there were tens of thousands of uh, mostly women asking me, like, well, how did you become this way? Because the show doesn't talk about that. The show doesn't talk much about who I am as a human being and uh, the lessons I've learned. And so that's what the book does. It's it's my rules to living an authentic life. And so each chapter is a different rule and the way that I learned that lesson. And I think that's relatable to so many women about learning um, what makes us stronger, what gives us grit, resilience, perseverance, um, compassion, and empathy. There are things that we go through in our life that teach us that starting from a young age. You can be 14, 18, 22, and be still learning these lessons that are are soul-altering, really. And they provide you a, a map of how you're going to live your life. And I think that's my story, and it's many women's stories. So as they read my story, I hope that they can relate to it and, and take away my own lessons as well. How did the book come about? Did the publisher approach you? Um, a literary agent approached me through a friend. So a friend of mine is writing a book and she said, I would love to connect you to my literary agent. And so you didn't know that existed. Yeah. Can your this agent person find celebrities to write books or interesting people and approach them? Oh, you're, you're, you're shaking your head. What does a literary, literary agent do? Well, they represent you. And a friend was already using her to write her own book. So this woman just had a chat with me. And she was like, hey, the show came out three weeks ago, but I think there's a big story here. I think there's a story of you, who you are as a human being, not who you are as a villain on TV. And she said, some people call you a hero already. Because right at that point, three weeks out, um, I think we'd already had the Washington Post article, the Vulture, the Oprah magazine. All of those articles had written Aparna as the hero of the show. And then there were all these trolls and cyber bullies. I was getting death threats. So some people thought I was the villain of the show. So it was pretty polarizing. And she said, I think that there's a story here. And it's your story. Do you want to write it? And I said, I'm really busy right now. The show is taking over my life. I was doing press day and night night for months and she said if you can squeeze this in write a proposal write your story I believe in you and that's all we all need we need one person to really believe in our voice and our story and I found that in my agent so I signed with her we worked on the proposal together so we didn't write the whole book we wrote a proposal and then she gave that to different publishers and said who's up for this who wants to take on this project you know and I found the perfect publishing house here in the U.S. and Canada. HarperCollins stepped up in India. Right now we're talking to a few other countries to see, you know, who's going to pick it up in other countries. And this book is going to be sold in many places around the world. Um, because like I said, I think it is relatable. Whether you watch the show, whether you're from a Western culture, whether you're from an Eastern culture that's not South Asian, but just, you know, an Asian culture that understands matchmaking like this. I talked to so many um, Korean women who said, oh, we have Dashan and we have matchmaking like this. I talked to women in Singapore. Oh, we have those aunties too. They try to matchmake us. And it turns out that this is a very Eastern phenomenon, matchmaking. And it turns out that, even the Jewish community, you know, which is a Western religion has it. And, and it's about, it's about something bigger than just one woman like me trying to find love. It's about, it's about life and learning lessons and, and living according to what we believe to be true and real.
How did you figure out what to include in the book? Uh, how long is, how many pages is the book? I last saw that it's 230 pages. Um, 11 chapters, 230 pages. And for me, it was about sharing the lessons that I've learned. Um, so I would pick like a lesson and, and a rule, let's say. So one of them is uh, learn from the women before you. And I think a lot of us make our role models someone amazing and great like yeah. Michelle Obama or like, you know, um, Malala. And those are great role models. But sometimes our role models are our grandmothers and our mothers who yeah. lived our story in a way, who have our generational tales, who have learned lessons that have directly impacted our lives. And so one of my chapters is telling you the story of my great grandmother and my grandmother and my mother and um, all the ways that they taught me about strength and, and sticking up for myself and never giving up on what I believe and hold to be true. Um, so my rule in chapter eight, or I think it's eight, I don't know, is, is learn from the women before you. And so you as a reader get to learn what that means to me. And then hopefully it makes you think, hey, what can I learn from my grandma, from my mother, from my great-grandmother? What are the trials and challenges they went through? What are the triumphs in their life? It doesn't need to be this huge global life to have all of those elements to it. We're all going to live very normal lives, but all those normal lives are so beautiful. They really are. When you were a lawyer, what kind of niche were you in? Um, I did for 10 years, uh, for five years, I did litigation. And for five years, I did corporate law. So for five years, I helped businesses in house kind of figure out how to make their company more successful and more uh, legally compliant. And for five years, I was in the courthouse, um, fighting for companies, fighting for people, uh, fighting, you know, courthouse stuff. Uh, so I, I did both. And the reason I did both was because I kept thinking, oh, I'll like one more than the other. Turns out I liked neither. Turns out I didn't like law, but I tried. And I want to tell everyone it's important to try sometimes, to really give it a go. And I gave it a 10-year go. I don't think you need to give everything 10 years, but I personally gave it a 10-year go. And um, I'm proud of myself for that. I really am. Uh, well, and I want, yeah, go ahead. What was the breaking point? I, I don't want to say breaking point, but that is the word that is coming to mind right now. What made you say, all right, I today I'm taking a sabbatical. What was the last straw? Or what made you just completely hand in your resignation because you're not even a full-time attorney anymore? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So what happened to me was the show came out in July and we thought that we would do press for about two weeks and then it became four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks. I was literally doing press day and night, working full time, writing a book proposal. I was not sleeping more than three hours um, a night. I was exhausted. I was barely eating. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't seeing my friends or talking to them even. I mean, we were in a pandemic, but everyone would do those Zoom happy hours and stuff. And I could never go because I was always talking to a podcast or a journalist or an IG live or something. And I thought that was important to me. And I prioritized that. And the reason I prioritized that is because I think it was an important moment in my life to share my story. And every time someone gave me an opportunity to tell my side of things, I wanted to take them up on it. Because I don't think it was just for me it's for women who felt like me and women who feel vilified in the workplace in school in matchmaking and WhatsApp groups, I think that there's women like me everywhere. And if I could give them a voice, through my voice, then that was powerful for me. And that was important to me. But I just couldn't do it. I sleep nine hours a night. I'm like a very good sleeper. So to sleep for so little for so long and work on my book and work full time and be in court on Zoom because we were in a pandemic, 
uh, it was too much. And so at a certain point in October, remember the show came out in July, I was like, I have to let something go. And I think that's a big lesson for all of us. When we're balancing our lives, what do we have to let go? And it's crazy for me, the thing that I had to let go was the full-time career and income that I had relied on for 10 years. And that was a personal choice. And then for me, I made the right one. And that let me write the book. That let me continue press. That let me have these amazing conversations with women about feminism and misogyny and sexism and all the things that shape us as women. And that was more important to me. So for me, it was a balancing act and I did the right thing for me. What is the toughest case you ever handle as an attorney? Um, I think it's ones where I saw good people getting hurt. I think that was really, I'm a very empathetic. And when good people were embezzled of all their funds or were treated unfairly um, or were left, you know, destitute with no retirement because their company boss stole all their money. I think it was moments like that when I saw the human condition that were really hard for me. If I was just fighting for companies, I was like, whatever, money comes in, money goes, that sucks. But when I saw human beings, when I saw individuals hurting, oh, my heart would break. I'd be like, these are real people. These are their real retirement accounts. These are their real jobs, their real lives. And that really hurt me. You know, that's not the part I loved at all. How did you end up in Houston? And how many siblings do you have? I have always lived in Houston since I was a kid. My family's here, my uncle, my aunt, my cousins, my mom. And then I went to university here and all my friends stuck around after school. So it made a lot of sense to come back after I went to law school for a few years. Um, I have one older sister who's also in Houston. She's two years older than me. She, we're super close. You guys saw her on the show with her husband. She was a part of my matchmaking process, the way my whole family was. And I think that was pretty cool to have them involved. You know, usually in my day-to-day -day life and my normal dating, they don't get involved. And I don't let them get involved. But the show kind of tried something new for us, and I enjoyed it a lot. Do you have any sibling rivalry with your sister growing up? No, we're very different. And what I appreciate about my mom is that she let us be really different. Like, I was always very focused on writing and the newspaper and, you know, all of my AP classes. And she was always interested in basketball and, and you know, her math classes. I was interested in art history. And my mom said, do whatever makes you guys happy. You know, she went to a small liberal arts college. I went to like a, you know, elite private school, college, and we did what was right for us. And I think my mom supported that. And that was a beautiful thing because we never had to be rivals in anything. We just had to be the best version of ourselves. What does your younger sister do as a career for a career? My older sister? She's my oh, older, older sister. sister. You're the younger one? Yeah, I'm the younger one. She's older okay. by two years. Um, she uh, has her own consulting firm, and she's also finishing up her PhD in statistics at the same time. So she uh, is a statistician. Wow. Yeah, she's really smart, and she's really passionate about figuring out why certain populations of children are not getting proper educations. And so she does a lot of work with her statistics to kind of help school districts in, in big cities figure out why are kids dropping out? Why aren't they finishing high school? Why aren't they going to college? What can we do to keep them in school? What can we do to make their school experience a better experience for them? So she's very passionate about education and uh, she's changing the world. It's a beautiful thing to watch. What was your family's reaction when you told them you were going to be on TV? Did you know that it was going to be on Netflix when you were filming? 
We knew it was going to be on Netflix, but we thought it was a oh. docu-series. So a docu-series is a documentary that's made into episodes. It's this really raw, realistic, honest look at, you know, the, the bads and the goods of matchmaking. And I thought that's what the show was about. That's what I was told. Turns out, I was wrong. It was a reality show. Um, it was not a documentary. It was a, not a docu-series. And so when I saw the show, I was super surprised. I was not very happy. And my family was very supportive of that. They thought that it wasn't fair what had happened. Um, but in the same note, they also thought it was really important that we were having these conversations that I talked to you about that came about really quickly from women all over the world. And so they were super grateful that I was given a platform to talk about the things that we take for granted as a family, that women are strong, women are amazing, women are um, able to do what they want in the world and still ask for love and still deserve love and still feel that they... Um, deserve a good partner like you can be strong and still want love and I think that's an important um, message that my kind of character on the show brought to the table and so my family reminded me of that right off the bat they said this is hard you didn't expect it a lot of people in the world are really you know saying mean things about you a lot of people are saying really good things about you so focus on that keep your mind straight on your goal and your goal is to share an important message and to have great conversations with people and I did that. and they were they were absolutely right what was the process of getting selected for the show so you apply right now people are applying for season two as we speak um it's really oh it's renewed for season two yeah they announced it last week you do oh. not follow the show uh-oh oops yeah I it's cool no they renewed I, knew, I knew it was nominated for an Emmy, but I did not know that it was renewed for a second season. Are you going to be in the second season? I don't know. I mean, as far as I know, I'm single. I could be <laughs> on the second season because I still need a matchmaker, but I don't know. I, they might pick new people, uh, new faces, new stories, and I'm excited for that. Honestly, I think um, I want to see more people experience matchmaking i want to see their stories i want to see their families and their experiences and, and and what they learn and grow from i'm very excited to see season two what was the behind the scenes that did not get to did not get to be on tv i mean a lot 200 hours were taped and you saw an hour and a half so I think it's interesting when things are edited, um, what we see and what we don't see. We don't see 95% of the stuff. And I think we all have to remember that when we're watching anything, anything that's unscripted or reality TV, whatever you want to call it. We have to be better about how we consume media. It's it's a entertainment. It's not true. It's not reality in any way, shape, or form. And it was really interesting. One of these articles that came out after the show was like, I want to make a point. No one is as good or as bad as they seemed on Indian matchmaking. Think about that. We always say, oh, she can't be that bad. But we never say, oh, she can't be that good. But that's also true. They can't be that good. They're not that good. They're human beings and they're amazing people. Like the people who got great edits on the show, Avyasa and Nadia, like they're awesome. But no one is that good and no one is that bad. And that's the same for Love is Blind, for Too Hot to Handle, for The Bachelor, for anything you watch. And I think we have to become better. We can still watch the TV. We can enjoy the stories. But we have to be more smart about the way we're watching it and what we believe is true and, what, and what's not. Um, I, I think that's the biggest lesson that I've learned. I never watched a lot of TV before this. So 
I was kind of confused when I saw my edit versus other people's edit. And I thought, well, that's just crazy. Like no one can believe this is true. But when millions of people believed it was true, I was shocked. And I thought we got to do better. And so that's where I stand today. I tell people we have to do better. Do you think the reason uh, some people got a good edit and some people got a bad edit is because the producers like them? Like, what is the criteria? I don't know. I, don't, I think that um, I'm not in the editing room. I can never tell you what happened in there. All I know is that I don't feel my story was personally represented fairly or accurately and that's my feeling and my feeling is always valid everyone's feelings are always valid and um i can only speak for myself has there been a specific conversation or a comment that really stuck with you after watching after watching the show back from my own lines in the show or a comment from a viewer from a viewer Yeah, there was a really powerful tweet um, where a woman said, Aparna doesn't like beaches, Aparna doesn't want kids at her wedding, Aparna doesn't like this, Aparna doesn't like that. We should all be like Aparna, be like Aparna. And she started a hashtag, be like Aparna. And it became, it trended on Twitter. And then I made a t-shirt and sold it on my website and all these women bought it. And it became a rallying cry of, be strong, be assertive, say that you deserve good things in life and then believe you deserve them because we all do. Every woman, no matter her age, no matter her education, no matter her weight, no matter anything, she deserves goodness and she deserves uh, all of it. And she needs to feel that way. Seema, she triggered me when she was not listening to what you were looking for. What was the back and forth with her like? Because you were very patient. Uh, I, I am. I was taught to be very polite um, my whole life. And it's interesting that so many people caught on to that. They were like, girl, Parna, you were super polite to that woman. And I was like, I tried um, because I, I wanted to believe she was on my team. I really did. I wanted to believe that if I could use all the words in my arsenal to tell her what I wanted, that she would be able to find me a match. Um That's what I believed in the beginning. I slowly stopped believing that when I heard that she wasn't on my team. And then watching it after the fact and seeing her say all these really negative, horrible things about me and my family, which is really unnecessary. I mean, we invited her into our homes. She came to my house. She came to my mom's house. She had chai with us. We fed her, you know, lunch. We, we invited her in like a guest. And then she said all these mean things about us. And that's not how I was raised. And I don't care what her opinion is. You don't say those things about people, especially people that you are providing a service for. So I just don't agree with her values or, um, or the way that she treats people. Uh, I don't, I don't, I wasn't brought up like that, honestly. Is she going to be on season two? Is going to be the same matchmaker? Will be interesting if they brought on somebody else. Um, I don't know anything about season two. No one talks to me about it. I'm not a producer. But um, in all the pictures and articles, if you read them, it says Seema is um, a matchmaker. Now, are there five other matchmakers? I don't know. Are there? Is there one other matchmaker? Or is, is she the only one again? I, honestly, I don't know. I would love. You're right, though. Hey, I would love to see other matchmakers. How cool would that be? Would be interesting to throw in Patty Stanger to see how she match make Indian couples. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's love. 
I love her. Yeah, I think that would be so interesting. She would just put everybody in place. I think it would be interesting, like a competition, maybe Mm -hmm. as the season grows, because who knows, that would be very interesting. Western versus Eastern, I don't know, modern versus traditional. I would watch that. I bet the ratings and the viewership will go crazy. Maybe, maybe. But remember, like you said earlier, this is not a show about for Americans. This is a show for the world. Yeah. The ratings would go crazy in America, but I don't know who's heard of Patty in Singapore or in in, in Johannesburg, South Africa, or in Kenya, where the show was, you know, charting on the top 10. Um, It's interesting how wide the reach of the show is and that's what i think is so special about it is seema popular is she a popular matchmaker in asia um i don't know i no one i know has ever heard of her besides you know before the show but i i don't live in india i'm not a part of that world maybe she is maybe i wanted to ask you this just now but i totally forgotten and i remember it now Knowing how editing on reality TV can be, what made you carry on the decision to to be on the show? Of course, that is before it got premiered. But as as a uh, as a as a person, you already know how reality TV could be. But what made you still all right? I'll just I'll take the risk. I'll take this calculated risk. Well, it was a docu series. Docu series are a beautiful piece of work, according to me. Um, it was not a reality show. I did not sign up for a reality show. I signed up for a docu series with an award winning producer and creator, and I believe that's what I was signing up for. So when I was taping it, I thought that's what this was about. Um, I was told it was an amazing way to highlight the best parts of our culture. In the end, I think it did that anyway. In the end, I would do it all over again. In the end, I'm happy. I was a part of such a cool experience that changed the way that we talk about matchmaking and women and um, all of the things about casteism and colorism and heightism. These are amazing conversations that we need to have as communities, as humankind, as societies. Um, So I don't regret my decision at all, but it's not what I signed up for. I'm also glad that they did not remove what Seema said to make it a clean show. They just went on like, we know we're going to be canceled, so we're just going to go ahead with it. Maybe. I don't know why they did what they did, but they made a show that people remember, and that is what you do in the entertainment industry. How do you navigate questions from people about your singlehood? Do you get annoyed or irritated? No, no. Um, I think it's a, when, when they're asking, it's about the tone in which they ask it. Are they asking if I'm happy still living my beautiful life? Yeah. Yeah. I really just spent an awesome summer traveling around the world, uh, experiencing such amazing moments and, um, I just can't give those up right now and I don't need to. I can also look for a partner and want love, but also live my best life while I'm searching for that guy. So I'm happy to talk about singlehood. I'm happy to normalize it. I think that we should be working on that. It's normal to be single in your 30s, in your teens, in your 50s. There is no right or wrong. Uh, Just being married doesn't make you any better or worse off. Um, It's just who you are and whether you thought you found your partner or not. Um, I don't think I found my partner yet, so I'm going to keep looking. 
What, um, honestly, how comfortable were you discussing what you were looking for with Seema? Very comfortable because, again, I thought she was on my team. She was supposed to listen to what I said and really hear me. Um, I found out throughout the process that was not happening, but I also wanted to give her a chance. If she was in the industry, if she was a professional, I was going to give her a chance to match me with men that she believed to be right, whether or not she listened to what I wanted or not. I think there is an element of trust that you have to give your matchmaker. In the end, I don't know if she earned my trust, uh, hearing all the mean things she said about me and my mother and my family. But at the time, I didn't know she thought any of those things. So I thought she's a professional and I'm going to listen to her advice because I'm not a professional matchmaker. That's not my job. My job is to be a lawyer, you know, at that time. Um, so I wanted to give her the same respect I would give someone else, a doctor. When I go to the doctor's office, I don't pretend to be a doctor, right? I listen to the doctor. Yeah, and you, 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 you really think, and when you go to the doctor, you automatically assume that the, the doctor is on your side. He wants yeah. the best for you and care about you, even though that person is a stranger. But the nature of the profession is that you patient first. You hit the nail on the head. That is exactly what I believed. I believed it was a service-based um, industry where she was putting me first and where she was on my team and where she was doing her best for me. Did you get any preview rights to the show or did you saw the show along with the rest of us? I saw it with the rest of us. Um, it came out at midnight uh, in LA on July 16th and I stayed up till two o'clock in Texas because of our time difference. And at 1.59, I was on the phone with Shaker and we were pressing refresh and he and I both saw it pop up on our screens and he said, I gotta go. I said, me too. Good luck. And we hung up and we watched the show. Um, you know, it was interesting to watch it by myself at two o'clock in the morning. It was hard. It was really hard. Um, but I don't know. It was a growing moment too, you know? Wow. I was really surprised to hear that you don't have any preview rights because I don't know if I could go through it. I feel like I would need to be mentally prepared. Well, wow, that's very interesting. How, um, how did the definition, okay, how do I say this? How has your definition of love changed throughout your life? Or has it we're always evolving. We're always evolving. In middle school, we want the hottest boy in class. In high school, we want the guy that's, you know, the team captain or the president. And, you know, I, I look back on all the choices I made and the men I made, um, I had relationships with, and they were reflections of who I was. And I think that's what women need to learn, that as we choose our partners, they're reflecting where we are in our own growth and our own journey and our own lessons. And now my definition of love is someone who's a good partner for me, someone who's on my team, someone who I can support and someone who can support me because life's going to get tough. There's going to be, you know, good times and bad times, but we have to be there for each other. And so I don't think that was my definition when I was 13 or 18 or even 28. Um, but that reflects right now, this definition reflects who I am in my life right now. And when I'm 50, my definition will be different. And when I'm 80, it will also be different. So we're always changing our definition of love and relationships based on where we are in our lives. 
How would you know if you have met the one? How do people know if they have met the one? Is it a feeling? Like I don't know. Uh, I don't believe in the one. I believe that we meet many people in our lives who can be our soulmates and who are our soulmates. And all we have to do is uh, commit to them and and work hard every day to put them first and for them to put us first. And then we'll be um, partners and successful ones. It's about communication. It's about love. It's about reciprocity. It's about it's about being there for each other. So I've already probably met a few soulmates. I, I don't know, maybe I have, and I'll probably meet some after I meet my husband. Um, but I am going to choose my partner. I'm going to choose my husband. I'm, I'm going to commit to him every day. So I don't believe in the one. I believe we could be happy with a ton of people. A favorite moment while filming Indian matchmaking? Um... I don't know, go yoga was really fun. It was, ah! it was my last date on the whole show, my last day of taping the whole show. I was so relaxed because I had already met the camera crew many times. I already knew all the producers. Um, I had picked that date. I'd asked them to go to go yoga. I, it's something I wanted to try. So I think a culmination of factors just made it so much fun and it was such a highlight. I'm still friends with Jay. He lives in New York now. I live in New York. So I saw him for brunch um, last month before I left for Paris and it was super fun. We were with a bunch of other friends and it's just so cool that we also connected and got to be friends, you know, like, yeah, we're not great as boyfriend and girlfriend, but we're great as friends. And, um, I think that's the coolest part of the show that like I am friends with Shaker, really good friends with him and Ankita I've never met in real life, but she's one of my really good friends. And there's nothing I could say about the cast that wasn't amazing. They're all incredible human beings. And we're very lucky that we got the experience to do the show kind of together, but kind of not, you know, we never met each other while we were taping the show, except unless we went on dates with each other. But um, I still think that they're the coolest bunch around. What's the most awkward date you've been on? In my life? Yeah. Um, awkward. I'm not really an awkward person. I've had some bad dates. Like, I went on a coffee date with a guy. He bought me, um, I think, like, a, a muffin and a coffee, like a latte. And he asked the cashier, what's the damage on this? And I was like, are you, are you kidding me? You're buying me a coffee. Like, we met five minutes ago. Uh, and then he proceeded to tell me throughout the date how... He lives in this really nice building and hates everyone who lives in it because they're super shallow. And I was like, okay. Hey, he lives in a nice building, but he hates everyone. <laughs> right. He hates everyone in the building. Okay. Too bougie. And then when we left, um, he was like, uh, nice to meet you and walked off into his like brand new Mercedes Benz. And I was like, what just happened? Who is this guy that just... How did you meet him? A uh, friend of a friend set us up. He was a doctor. He is a doctor still. And she said, I think you guys have a lot in common. I don't think we have a lot in common. I don't like the way that he spoke about people. Uh, I don't know. It was weird. And, and then the way he made me feel guilty for getting a coffee. I was like, that's weird. It's a coffee date. Like, you're a doctor. Like, if you were, like, a student, I would say, hey, that's a lot. You know, like. We got to watch every dollar when we're students or, you know, um, or unemployed. But he was like a full-on doctor with a brand new Mercedes outside. I'm like, okay, okay. Have you ever been ghosted before? How do you deal with being ghosted if you have? I've never been ghosted. Have you ghosted anyone before? 
no, I'm too much of a grown up. I would just say, hey, I just don't think we have chemistry. I'm not going to make it tonight. Thank you so much for your time, though. I, I just feel like it's respect that you have for anyone to just not put them in that situation. What advice would you give if someone um, accidentally bumped into someone that have ghosted them? What should what should they do? Say hello. Say hello. <laughs> Say what? Say hi. How's it going? Never saw you that day. Hope all's well. You okay? Oh, never saw you. I never thought of that. Never saw you that day. Going well. <laughs> I hope you're well. Looks like you both have both your legs right now, so I guess everything's okay. Right? I mean, I don't know. I, I've never been in that situation, like I said, but I'm not one to run away or hide. I would be like, what? Hello, you? Hi, how are you? <laughs> what about the most romantic date you've been on? Mm, I think it's those dates that go on for hours where the person's just so interested in getting to know you, so it's not Hi. anything that they did. But it's the way that they treated you, and it's the way that they couldn't get enough of you, how they wanted to get to know everything about you. I think that's so romantic, and that's, I don't know, that's so intimate, too. When was your last serious relationship, and why did you think it didn't work out? It was a couple of years ago, and he lived across the ocean. So I think that it didn't work out because he lived across the ocean. And at a certain point, there was no way for us to figure out how to be in the same place and so there was no point in trying he stopped trying first I stopped trying next and when people aren't trying the relationship's over what what are your deal breakers um people who are not communicative people that means that they have all these passions and interests in their life but they don't share it with me they keep it to themselves one day when we're old and we have no one else to talk to but each other over the breakfast table, I want to know that we shared a life together where we talked about the things that we loved that made us happy. And so I need that to start on day one. I need you to say, hey, I read The Economist every day and I'm so interested in the microfinance in African countries. And I'm going to be like, what? What are you saying? But I don't care if I don't know. Teach me. Teach me what you love. Share with me what you love. Um, make me a part of it. What turns you on? Intelligence. I love people who I think are smarter than me, who I feel are smarter than me. I'm like, wow, you have so much you can teach me. You have so much to offer the world. I'm so excited about all you're going to accomplish in this world. And that's a huge turn on for me. What is your relationship with spirituality um, how do you how do you define your spirituality yeah i think spirituality is different than religion so religion is kind of our cultural religious practices that are very um wrote in a way like as in like their rituals and that we do them you know based on our culture and what we've been taught and spirituality is an ongoing um ongoing journey you have with yourself 
So for me, that includes meditation, taking care of my body, um, aligning myself with gratitude and thankfulness for all I do have, focusing on manifesting the things that I desire. Um, for me, it's an ongoing, everyday incorporation into my life. Spirituality is not something that you pick up on a Monday and drop on a Friday. It's with you all the time. And for me, that is an active part of my life. What do you do when you feel lonely? I don't really feel lonely. There's a difference between feeling alone and lonely. Alone is when no one is around you and you realize it and you look around and you're like, wow, I'm alone right now. Lonely is when there's something missing inside you and, and you feel like something external can fix that. I think I'm at the point in my life where I realize that like it's okay to be alone. It is. It's totally okay to be alone. It's okay to be alone. I was in Paris alone for half the time. I'm in my apartment alone. I'm in my house alone, but I'm not lonely because I'm okay being alone. What is the biggest mindset change you have encountered since the pandemic? I think it's that focus on gratitude, like I said. We can always focus on all the things we've lost, all the things that defeat us, all the things that make us feel small. But for me, I'm just so grateful that I'm safe. I have a roof over my head. I have my health. I have my family. I have this opportunity to tell my own story through my book, through my words. I have, you know, support, friends. The list is endless. I mean, honestly, if you focus on gratitude, you could be busy all day and all night. Um, and so that's what I've learned the most during the pandemic. A few more questions to go. Do you, when you are filming Indian matchmaking, do you have to give production a schedule of what you are doing for the day? Or do, do they just show up at 8 a.m. until 8 p.m.? Uh, neither. Uh, the way that entertainment works is they give you their schedule. You don't oh. have a schedule. Um, they tell you, like, hey, we're going to show up at your house tomorrow at 8 a.m. We're going to run X, Y, and Z today. You're going to go on a date today. Um, we'll see you at 8 a.m. And they show up. Um, it's coordination. It's logistics. It's simple. It's, um, it's a part of the process. What was scripted in the show? Nothing. Wow. Do you remember, um, do you have an opinion on who is the most thirsty and wanted the most screen time? No, it's season one of a show. Here's the special thing about season one. No one signed up for the show wanting to get famous or wanting to get screen time or wanting to get any of that. We all thought nobody would ever watch the show. I mean, it's a boring show about seven South Asians where a matchmaker failed to find them anyone. Like 0% success rate. What a boring show. But we all signed up because we believed in trying anything to find love. And this was an opportunity for all of us to find love. And we really wanted it. And I think that's so beautiful about a season one of a show that they don't know what they're getting in for. They just are there with the true intent of the show. And the true intent of Indian matchmaking is for Indian people to be matchmade <laughs> and to find their wife or their husband or their partner. And that's what we all signed up for. So I think that makes us very special. And as we look for season two, I'm curious, how do you find people that don't want screen time and don't care about that, but really just care about finding their partner. Um, I'm sure that's difficult for anybody in casting, but not my job. I'm not in casting. I'm not in entertainment. <laughs> not my problem. Yeah. A lot of time these days when they, uh, when you sign up for a show, they ask how many followers you have on social media, 
you know, really? sometimes they want your picture. Yeah. Wow. When I talk to a lot of people that I talk to on reality TV, like on uh, Bravo or Netflix to, uh, to handle, they want yeah. to know how many followers you have. Even uh, Big Shot with Bethany. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that competition show, but no. yeah, they required, they wanted to know how many followers they have on social media and they wanted to have a picture and blah, blah, blah. Well, all of us were, I think on private or didn't even have Instagram. Yeah. We had like, wasn't that kind of show. Huh? It wasn't that kind of show. I was surprised too when, as I started going into episode two and episode three, it started to feel more like a reality TV, the way they edit it more than, than about Indian matchmaking. I wasn't expect, I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting that. Same girl, same. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I've learned so many things, especially about the sabbatical, that you can take a sabbatical from your work. You don't even need to quit. No, and you should. If you can, you should. You should ask. You should plan for it. You could say, I want to do it in 12 months. Is it even possible? Not, hey, I want to do it tomorrow. You could say that if you guys are at a slow period. You know your schedules too. People are listening to this. Maybe you're an accountant and you're really slow a certain time of year. Tell your boss, hey, we're really slow this time of year. I think you guys can handle the accounts you know, without me. Can I take two months off? You don't have to pay me, but I'd love to keep my health insurance. Uh, and can I be promised a job when I come back? I want to go see the world. I want to take care of my mom in a different state. I want to uh, go to Guatemala and build houses for orphan children like my friend. You know, whatever it is you want to do, there's no right or wrong. It doesn't have to be this amazing charitable thing. It could be, I need two months to just sit on my couch. Maybe you don't want to tell them that, but you can always say, just need personal time. Thank you for that advice. Of course. Thank you again. Bye. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. You too. Bye.